Welcome back to One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show. Dylan Balsamo, Jimmy Sullivan with you. And pleased to be joined by Nelson Figueroa, former Mets pitcher. He's now the co-host of the Amazing But True podcast with Jake Brown at the New York Post. Nelson, thanks for being with us tonight. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. And I, I believe uh, the name of your podcast, uh, Amazing But True, is a great way to describe the night last night in Queens. A, a lot of, frankly, crazy things going on at City Field. We'll, we'll get into all things Mets throughout the interview, but I, I just want to get your takeaways from Friday night, which was a wild night for a lot of different reasons at City Field. Yeah, uh, you know, it should be for all the good reasons. And of course, uh, all it takes is one cut to the dugout or the clubhouse area at the wrong time. and You've got controversy now because nobody knows what the actual truth is, um, unless I'm misinterpreting things. But we heard this fantastic uh, story from Lindor about a possum slash rat slash raccoon or New York rat, I should, you know, specify, because we know how big those get. Um, <laughs> and you don't know what to believe. Uh, look, I've played in the Midwest. I played down in Houston. And the best analogy I could give is I was beating Santana in a ball game um, when I was pitching against the Mets. And I'm all excited. I'm thinking of the headlines. You know, I get revenge. I get a chance to beat their ace. I come out of the game, Mark Melanson comes in for me in the seventh inning. First battery faces, David Wright, home run, ties up the ball game. I'm like, oh, well, there goes that. We come up in the bottom of that inning, and Hunter Pence, uh, Santana hits a guy, then Hunter Pence hits a home run. We take the lead. We wind up winning five to three. And we're at breakfast the next day, me and Melanson, and in the newspaper, the headline in the Houston newspaper says, Mark Melanson earns first big league victory. And I go, wow, what a pretty way to paint it, right? Because you know in New York, it would have torn him apart. He's not ready for the big time. He came in the big moment and he blew it. No, Mark Melanson earns first big league victory. So I took the newspaper over and we were at breakfast and I gave it to him. I go, hey, keep this headline because if this is in New York, because uh, remember he came from the Yankees in the Berkman trade. I go, this game, this was in New York, you know, you would have got ridden already in your first, one of your first outings. So, yeah, things are a little different there. So, I, look, I don't think that's going to fly. It's easy to just tell the truth. It's easy to just say, hey, you know, we had some words, whatever. Or just keep it private. Just say, hey, none of your business. <laughs> a real New Yorker says, none of your business. That would have been even fine. We would have just went with that and said, hey, between two teammates, boom, let it go. But no, you know, they, they, they went with the rat, raccoon, possum story, whatever it is. And now everybody's intrigued. Have they not learned anything from Donnie Stevenson? It's, did they not just <laughs> learn from the Donnie Stevenson saga? So I, I'm hoping this team matures a little bit and grows up and realizes that the media is not that dumb. Um, the fans are not that dumb and you have to be able to have some accountability uh, at least if you're going to be seen or whatever's been seen on TV, Hey, damage control has to be set. We're keeping it in house. Don't worry about it. Nelson, again, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, and I hope you were as thoroughly entertained by last night as <laughs> Jimmy and I very clearly were. 
you know, you talk about Lindor. There's been a lot of pressure on him lately. Uh, the fact that he hasn't been producing offensively as much as mm-hmm. you or I or anyone would want, want him to. Do you think maybe all of this was some kind of result of that that pressure getting too much to handle? Or do you just think it was just some kind of fluke? Well, you know what? I, I would love to say that that's the simple answer because that's what everybody thinks. And the only one who knows about the pressure that he was feeling was Lindor. You could see it. Body language is everything in this game, right? You know when a guy's confident, you know when a guy's feeling cocky. And that that's why the new the new let the kids play kind of element to the game, it's fake. It's it's fake. It's momentary. It's it's you know, you live in the moment, you're banging your chest, you're flipping the bat, you're look at me, look at me, look at me. But case in point, Ozuna hits a home run last week, down six to one, hits a home run, and he stops that before first base to take a selfie of himself, you know, in his little pose. And you're thinking in your head, the old school guy's going, Oh my God, the guy behind him is gonna get hit, and the guy behind that guy is gonna get hit now. Because there's a respect factor that's being lost in the game. So to me, all the all the kind of fake momentary showmanship, you're not getting the true essence, the true, uh, you know, the true feelings of what's going on with Lindor. You got to shake it off. It's it's not an easy thing to do. It's not a money thing because he's got the big contract. It's not a pressure thing. He's played baseball at the highest level before. So to me, it was just, hey, you started out bad. Mike Piazza started out bad, not nearly as bad, but he started out bad um, with New York when he first came over in the trade. I just felt like, you know, he was struggling, man. He was struggling and wanting to hit the six-run home run. He's pulling the ball an absurd amount of time right now and trying to pull every single pitch. Instead of just letting kind of his natural abilities take over and look like he was forcing it. We always say to kids all the time, don't try and hit a home run because it never happens. Right. You, you wind up overswinging. You wind up trying harder than you should. It's read, react and then be able to execute whatever game plan you set out. He's done it for years. He's you know gotten off the schneid where he got the hit one for 26. Hits a home run yesterday, a big home run, you know, which is, is a good thing. You know, I hope that that really starts over him having a really good month of May and having an April to forget. That's what you hope it means. Talking with Nelson Figueroa, former Mets pitcher, co-host of the Amazing But True podcast at the New York Post with Jake Brown. Nelson, as a a former pitcher, you've seen what the Mets have been able to do pitching staff-wise, particularly the starting rotation. They've been terrific so far this year. How encouraged do you think Mets fans should be about this, knowing that not only Carlos Carrasco, but also Noah Syndergaard could both be back fairly soon at some point this year and the guys that have been in the rotation as of now with, you know, the exception of David Peterson last night, an abbreviated start. How encouraging should that be for Mets fans knowing that the rotation has been good and it's getting reinforcements fairly soon? Yeah, I think you should feel absolutely, you know, in the best possible condition that you can, even though the offense has been really, really bad for a while now they're starting to come around finally um you're adding not just some arms you know some some backup guys you're adding Noah Syndergaard who's a number two um you're adding Carrasco who can pitch as well as anybody in baseball when he's on the mound and that's the thing there's no guy out there that says oh you know what I'm a number two Uh, I'm a number four really you know there's no guy that's saying that 
So everybody that goes out there feels like they're the number one when it's their day. And I love that kind of confidence. You know, all those guys have that, right? So now you have a rotation that gets instantly a huge boost. Um, you don't have to see so much of Joey Casey or Jordan Yamamoto or all those guys. Those were at his depth pieces. Those weren't necessarily the guys. Taiwan Walker has been fantastic. Uh, more than they bargained for thus far. With him, it's always been a health issue. So knock on wood, we'll make sure that he tries to get through, you know, as healthy as possible. You get those two pieces back. We're forgetting also Lugo. You're getting a huge piece in the bullpen, a swing man that can now really protect these starters who's ha who've had to go maybe a little bit longer than you'd like because you were trying to protect the bullpen because you kept having to use the same three arms over and over again because it was tight ball games because the team's not scoring any runs. What I'm excited most about, again, is when those three pieces come back and it's plenty of time before the trade deadline, and now you're going to be able to see where the new regime, the new Mets ownership and management, are they going to be able to put together kind of what happened in 2015? Because I don't think this... I look at this team already and know it's better than the 2015 team on paper early on when they got all those guys on, you know, they, they got the Kelly Johnsons and the Uribe's and of course the Cespedes move and the Tyler Clippard and they got those other pieces. That's what made them an instant contender. This team's a contender right now. And now you're going to be adding, you know, all-star caliber arms, all three of those guys. And then you're going to be able to go and see how, how deep exactly are those pockets of uh, Uncle Steve's. Uh, Nelson, while we're on the topic of pitching, I want to ask you about Jacob DeGrom, because, you know, with the exception of the fact that he didn't get to pitch this past week, looks like he's going to be back very soon. Uh -huh. uh, he has been, uh, to to use a, an old term, in the in the zone. He just seems uh -huh. to be as there as he has been over the last two Cy Young Award-winning full seasons. So let me ask you, from pitcher to pitcher, what is it about his stuff right now that makes him so uh, undefeatable? Um, it's... It it's hard to even put into words what we're watching right now because normally, you know, a, a guy, as we've seen with Trevor Bauer, you talk about a guy turning a corner, right? And, and then you want to see how long they can hold on to it. There were many, many, many pitchers who seemed like they turned a corner and they're at the peak, the pinnacle of, of what they could do. And it kind of fizzles out because the league figures them out. The league understands how they like to work. They pitch a little backwards. To see what he's done over his last 80-plus start, 80 plus starts 80 that, that number just boggles the mind where he's putting up this two point you know barely a two era and goes out there with no run support and never cries never says woe is me he stands there in front of the media at the end of the game giving up one run yeah i should have given up a run then i would have got a no decision you know it's my job not to give up any runs and he's kind of figured it out He's figured out what pitching is. Pitching, pitching at that high of a level is about uh, preventing runs, run prevention. And he kicks it into an even bigger gear when there's men on, men on base, right? When they rarely get on, he kicks it into another gear still. I don't understand how he has so many gears. And I've said this ad nauseum, and anybody who's heard me get interviewed about Jacob, he is an F1 driver in Monaco where he's downshifting upshifting the straightaways he's the fastest of the fast he can hang he can hook the curves he knows the game plan and the the route inside and out on every single team because he never has to change anything it doesn't matter what hitter is up there he's the best pitcher on the planet like he's not 
pitching to his, he's not pitching to his weaknesses. He's always pitching to his strengths. And that's what's different about him. He has the ability to pitch to all four quadrants of the strike zone, up, down, in, and out with just his fastball. But he can do it also with his changeup on both sides of the plate. He can do it with a slider that's 94 miles an hour. And when you have that kind of touch and feel, but then you have the velocity, it would be like if you took Greg Maddox's ability to throw strikes and make the ball move and you married it to, you know, Randy Johnson's type fastball. If those could ever match, that's Jacob DeGrom. And that's what he's doing and making it look so easy out there because every time you come up, he's got a different out pitch to get you out with. Truly incredible stuff. I do want to switch gears a bit, get your reaction to some of the news earlier in the week with the Mets. It feels like a very long time ago, but earlier this week, they got rid of Chili Davis, the hitting coach, Tom Slater, the assistant hitting coach as well. Uh, brought up Hugh Quattlebaum from the minor leagues. He'll he'll be the hitting coach for the rest of the season. What was your reaction to that news? And it seems like the front office and ownership kind of shaking things up with an offense that had been struggling for the first month of the season, but had just been finally starting to hit. And then they they get rid of the hitting coach. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, ownership would have probably said if they could, hey, we still have the receipt on the Lindor deal at $342 million. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to pay that for a 160 hitter. But that's not what you do in baseball, right? So you have to do a shakeup. And it was, I, I don't know if I'm, I think from a fan perspective, I'm, you know, I, I'm proud of what they did because something had to give, right? And whoever you blame it on or whatever you say about philosophy, old school, new school, I'm not buying that. Baseball's baseball right? They prepare and they game plan. They've done it for centuries now. They prepare and they game plan knowing the opponent, knowing, and with all this information that we have now, there's video constantly playing. These guys are prepared as can be before the game. They're there flipping toss and, and they're throwing pitches to these guys and they're working with the guys that are struggling. They're keeping the guys that are doing well, uh, you know, making sure that they were maintaining that they're keeping them in the zone kind of thing. So they're doing their job. It is a thankless job because remember, these guys are preparing guys to fail. Don't suck so much today. That's basically what they're doing because they're going to fail seven out of 10 times and still be an all-star. That boggles the mind. That boggles the mind that there's a coach whose sole responsibility is to help them not suck so much. And the difference is one hit right? Because if they're batting 200, this is the worst coach on the planet. They get one more hit, they're the best coach on the planet. And it, But what I saw was there was a respect factor that was lost. Because with all that work that they're doing, and they know they're struggling as a team, they know they're struggling as an offense, they know those guys are working their butt off to try and help them. And yet when they did have success, they gave the credit to Donnie Diesel, Donnie Stevenson. And instead of saying, hey, Chili Davis has been busting his ass with me. Hey, Slater's been working with me extra, staying later, coming earlier. Instead of saying those things that show an appreciation for the people that are putting in the work with you, you make up these fictitious names and these people that don't exist. And what happens is the respect factor gets lost. Because if you're not going to give acknowledgement then, it's as if you graduated from high school. And instead of thanking your parents in your speech, you go ahead and thank your imaginary friend. 
That's what I saw. And I saw that the once that respect factor was lost, and I'm not buying that they were fired a week ago and they just waited for COVID protocols. We already know you can get a rapid test in 15 minutes and know if somebody is positive or not. They can guys get called up all the time and don't have to wait a week before they're, you know, put on the team. So I'm not buying that excuse. I am of the mind that those two games back to back in Philadelphia, where they started Donnie Diesel in it and not talking about Chili Davis and Slater basically made management go, who are they talking about? And why are we even paying these other guys if they're not getting the job done? So Nelson, you mentioned, you know, Donnie Diesel, if you will, the, the Ratter Raccoon story, all these crazy things that are going on. And you, you mentioned specifically earlier a, a lack of, of maturity in some ways. So mm-hmm. let me ask you, where, in your opinion, is the line between ju- players just having fun and something that is borderline disrespectful? When it's almost as if they're laughing at the media and the fans by having their little inside joke. If you have an inside joke, have an inside joke, but don't make it public. Don't make it public. And in this day and age, people will find out. People will search. That's all people do now. You know, I hate using the term trolls on the internet, but that's all the trolls do. This is what they live for. It's not just the beat reporters anymore. It's not just the beat guys that are in the clubhouse. It can take anybody, anybody who's, you know, around the team, knows the team, knows somebody on the team. They get a little bit of inside information, and now it's in all over the internet. I mean, it, it's it's... It's a much different day and age. And I used to say that about be- all stuff off the field. I used to tell players all the time, be careful of your surroundings. There's somebody with a camera on their phone at all times. You have to be aware of your surroundings. Right now, they're, they're in a very young season. I'm, I'm all for fun. I'm all for inside jokes. I'm all for having nicknames. Listen, uh, Carlos Delgado used to call everybody Jimmy, just in case he didn't know their name. He'd call everybody Jimmy. And if he knew you, you were Jimmy because he didn't want to make anybody else feel bad. So no matter who walked up to him and said hi, he'd say, hey, Jimmy, how's it going? And give him a look, and he's like, no, no, Jimmy's good. When he calls you James, and I, I'm sorry, James, but if he calls you James, <laughs> then he really doesn't know your name. You know what I mean? When he calls you James, that means he didn't know your name. But he called everybody Jimmy. That was his thing. That's what you're looking at is that that's a little covert thing. And now what you're seeing is these guys are just, I, I don't know, it, it's – it, 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 to me, I've, I've been in the, both sides of it, working at SNY, working in the media now, and I know how the media is looking to poke the bear and get somebody to spill the beans. They're constantly, and now that becomes the story. That becomes the focus. I said this back in 2010 when I left the Mets. I said the problem with the Mets organization is that the Yankees are locked tight. With all the struggles that they just went through, all the answers that you got were cliche. They're boring. They are so boring, but it's locked tight from the network to the players to the manager. You don't get inside. There is a level that you get to, a level of answer that you get from them, and it's a professional answer. That's how they answer their questions. That's how they don't give you an inch. A team like the Mets has so many personalities on it. Instantly, with the internet, and you got Stroman on Twitter, you got, you know, a guy like I, I was always worried. What if they did sign Bauer? It would have been a circus, an absolute circus, with all the things that he would be able to talk about because he's looking for ratings. He's looking for likes. He's looking for, you know, people to, to, to subscribe. 
So imagine him waking up or going to bed last night. He would have told you all about the story of what happened because that's what what's important to him. The Mets have so many players and so many characters and there's so much charisma on this team. that They're likable guys. But I think now the, the story becomes not what's on the field, right? The stuff that happens, on, they won the game. They came back, the biggest comeback of the season. Lindor hits a home run. There was not one question asked about the game, you know, in the post-game press conference last night. And that's disappointing because that's what you want the focus to be on. Hey, we're playing winning baseball. You know, we, we, we pulled together. We did this as a team. If I'm the if I'm the media guy for the Mets, I'm having to sit down with these guys today and saying, listen, this stuff has to stop. This has to stop because it's a circus already. And there's people on the internet, and there's a, a famous guy who on the internet who paints what happens after every game. You know he's painting this picture for a season-long thing. He's running out of space already because there's so many stories already, so many juicy little stories. You know, that, that even something as, as mild as Carrasco getting pushed back or set back, but they didn't say why. They didn't even say why. They, they didn't say he, he had a setback or anything like that. They just said, uh, we're just going to put him on the 60th day and bring him back later, which made no sense because you'd want, you think, one of the better pitchers that you have to be ready and be available. So it, it, the media circus is strong around the New York Mets, and that's one of the things that I think they've got to put a tent over very quickly. I will say uh, that story, Nelson, you just told about Carlos Delgado has probably officially cemented him as my favorite player <laughs> on those mid-2000s teams. That is fantastic. I'll be I'll be using that in the future for sure. Nelson Figueroa, uh, co-host of the Amazing But True podcast for the New York Post. Great to talk all things Mets with you. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate the time. Thanks so my much. My pleasure, Bill. guys. You got it. Take care.